Welcome to Life Lessons with Dr. Steve Shell. For 20 years, Dr. Steve's 30-minute radio program, Life Lessons, was heard throughout the United States. Committed to comprehensively teaching through entire books of the Bible, Pastor Steve pulls out the deep, eternal truths in each section of Scripture without skipping over the challenging passages. He applies what is learned clearly and practically so that we're inspired not to just be hearers of the Word, but doers also. Today, I want to talk to you about understanding repentance. Father, we come today and ask the word of God to open to us. Holy Spirit, you've written this word, and we ask you now to reveal it, for we would be obedient. We would be friends of God, to whom you will give more and more understanding of your ways. Come, Holy Spirit, teach us and grace me to speak your word so that we can hear it. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Beginning at the moment a child first recognizes right from wrong, each of us enters into a lifetime of choices. Let me just let that sink in a minute. Beginning at the moment a child first recognizes right from wrong, and I think as any parent knows that varies, and, and there becomes that sudden moment where you think, I think she knew what she just did. There's, there's the... There's a, you know, the, there's a whole season of innocence and, and you just know it's a little child who doesn't really know. And then all of a sudden you recognize that child's uh, moral sense, that child's sense of right and wrong, of understanding has suddenly passed the line. They know what they're doing. Beginning at the moment a child first recognizes right from wrong, each of us enters into a lifetime of choices. Choices whether or not to tell the truth when the truth will get me in trouble. Choices to be generous or selfish. Choices to indulge harmful body impulses or control them. Choices to let my temper flare or control it. Choices to play by rules or break them. Choices to promote myself or others. Over time, my choices in these and other areas fall into habitual patterns which deepen until my essential character is formed. I begin to, f my, my choices in matters of right and wrong, of selfishness and, and, and kindness, of all of that, begin to fall into patterns. And the patterns of your choices become who you are. You and I form ourselves like a sculptor sculpting a, a, a statue. Every choice is chink, chink, we begin to form our soul. We form our conscience. In, if I choose to repeatedly violate my conscience, I become a person lacking integrity. The personality God intended for me withers and distorts. If I choose to repeatedly obey my conscience, I instead become a person of high integrity and my God-intended personality emerges. See, the, the more I've, every time I'm confronted with a choice, my conscience tells me what's right, I decide whether or not I'll obey it. And this can happen over a, per, a period of time and of pondering, but it can also happen in the wink of an eye. Just in a moment, I, I know and then I choose. Every time I choose to, to go away from my conscience, I harden my conscience. I silence it one notch. Somehow it gets less and less. Every time I choose to obey my conscience, it becomes 
more sensitive. The voice is louder. I become more responsive to it. I will argue that the conscience in us, I know that they can be perverted by bad, bad teachings and, and, and social environments. You can, I guess, distort a person's conscience. At least I'm told you can. But I think we're born with a sense of God's voice. I think all humans have it. Everybody all over planet Earth. Every child born comes with a conscience. And it, the conscience is fundamentally the voice of God. And Paul argues that very point. Romans chapter 1. He says there's not a person on planet Earth that doesn't know there's an essential right from wrong. There are things that God has told all of us. And so how I respond to that little light of my conscience tells you what kind of person I am. I form myself. You know, we, in America, it's fashionable to blame all of my behavior on my mother <laughs> or my father or at least somebody else. My problems are your fault. That is basically the American uh, message. But the, the thing is, there isn't a person on planet Earth who doesn't have sin against them, that isn't abused in various ways. That's simply the human experience and always has been. So it isn't simply will I be abused or will I have things done to me? The question is what choices do I make in response to it? Some people under great hardship and great duress make good choices and rise up and become all the stronger and greater people for it. Other people, when abused or troubled or, or difficulties arrive, make bitter, small choices and become destroyed by it. I'm going to tell you something. When we stand before the Lord, he's not going to listen to this business of blaming everybody else. He's going to take our side of the equation. He's not going to say, all right, was your, was your father or your mother, were they, were they, did they do all the right things? He's going to say, let's talk about you. Let's talk about the choices you made. Let's talk about how you responded. Let's talk about the light you had and what you did with it. That will be where he goes and he talks to us. If I choose repeatedly to obey my conscience, I become a person of high integrity and my God-intended personality emerges. See, I get released. I get released to be who God wants me to be. This conscience, when healthy, is my ability to hear the inner promptings and warnings from God. Its voice grows stronger or weaker, louder or quieter, more calloused or more sensitive with the passing of time. The Christian life begins with the decision to stop resisting the voice of God, which has been speaking to us through our conscience. When you come to Christ, the first thing you do is repent. Repent of what? Well, fundamentally, you repent of, of not listening to him, of violating your conscience, of choosing to do the wrong thing, of choosing to do the selfish thing, of choosing to, to, to violate the thing that your, that your heart has been telling you. And you stand there before God and you, start, and you say, Lord, I'm sorry. When you've told me, some things, told me things, I've, I've, I've chosen my own way. I've made my own rules. I'm not going to do that anymore. See, a lot of people want to say that the gospel is nothing more than accept the fact that God just loves you just the way you are and forgives you, you know, and he really doesn't care. He's real mushy. That's, that's the American gospel. Just know that you're loved. 
Well, you are loved. I mean, you're loved a whole lot. But God's no fool. And our life, we don't simply want to be forgiven. We want to be released. We don't want to just have him say it's okay. We want the chains off. We want the junk out. We want joy. We want wholeness. We want change. That's what Christ has come to do, to give us a whole new life. And in fact, the Father's ordained that I'm going to get changed. From the moment I say yes to Jesus, I'm, on a, I'm in a, a plan for my life, which is fundamentally to change my inner orientation until I'm like Christ. Loving, gracious, kind. So my life begins with my first repentance. My, my commitment now that says, I repent of living that way, and I will now submit myself as I know it's your will and as I have the power to obey. And those are, those are both things that have to grow and change. But as I understand your will and as I have the power to obey, I will choose obedience. And that begins a lifetime of repenting. We don't repent once. Coming to Christ is my first repentance that initiates me into a whole new attitude toward my conscience. Now, as soon as I recognize that I have violated the voice of God, I choose to repent. And I repent over and over. I repent many times during a day. And every time I do, and every time I respond to that gentle prompting, it, the voice of my conscience, the voice of the Holy Spirit within me gets louder and louder. So you'll find that the longer you, become a, you are a Christian, and the more you walk the walk with God, you don't come to a place where you've just arrived and you feel really, really good about yourself. The, the funny thing is you actually become more and more sensitized to your sin. Now, I don't think it makes you neurotic. It just makes you quick to repent. Just quick to repent. The Christian life begins with a decision to stop resisting the voice of God, which has been speaking to us through the promptings of our conscience. Awakened by the Holy Spirit to the wrongness of my previous course of life, I choose instead to submit future decisions to God. I pledge to choose obedience over rebellion and to repent as soon as I recognize that I failed. Well, what is repentance? It's the choice to stop a wrong course of action or thought and submit afresh to the will of God. It's the choice. Fundamentally, it's submission. His ways aren't my ways. His thoughts aren't my thoughts. I do this. He does that. I guess I'll do his. I'm sorry I chose mine again. I'm going back to yours. That's repentance. It's not complicated. A course of, it's a course correction, an attitude adjustment. And it always begins, real repentance begins with God revealing his view of my attitude or action, I don't really know what I should repent of until the Lord shows me. I mean, you can tell me, but I don't, and, and, and I don't get it until there's a revelation. There has to come this moment where the Spirit of the Lord opens my eyes and shows me what I'm doing. And then the revelation forces me to make a choice. So revelation and choice. Revelation of my action is not in line with the Lord. Doesn't please him. I just grieved him. Choice. What will I do? Will I, will I defy him? Will I do it anyway? Will I ignore that voice? Or will I listen to it and make a course correction? 
How does he speak to us? Well, he speaks to us in many ways. There's a simple grieving of the Holy Spirit that goes on in us. Ephesians 4.30 speaks of it. It's just a, a little twist in the heart, just a sense like, whoops, you just did something. I, I had it yesterday, at least once. Um, and it, and it's, it almost, this will almost seem silly, but anyway. I was driving, I had gone over to visit my mother. I'd been gone all week, and, and, and I was driving home, and a little bird, probably a, just a sparrow, a little thing that long, maybe, I don't know if it was a starling or a sparrow, it was a little thing, and it just shot in front of my car. There's nothing I could do about it. And I, and I thought, and then I looked to see if it came out the other side, and I didn't see anything. And then, then I saw like a little leaf or something. It looked like it rolled in the middle of the road. And I thought, oh, well, oh, my. And I'm sorry, Lord. And, you know, kind of thing. I, sorry I hit it. And, and uh, then as I turned, I just went, it was just before I turned up the hill into my housing area. And, and um, the Lord said to me, I know when a sparrow falls. And I just sensed the, the Lord was sorry that it happened. And I thought, well, I'm busy and I've got to get my sermon written and, and on repentance. And, um, <laughs> and I thought, I've hit birds before. You, you, you don't want me to go back, do you? Okay. And, and I had a moment. Was I going to simply press through? Now, would I be... You know, a horrendous sinner, if I did. I don't, I don't think I was a horrendous sinner if I, if I went on. But I felt the grieving in my conscience. I don't do this all the time, but this time I did. And so I turned around, and there was a place to park in the, in the road, you know. And there was the little bird, you know. Nobody run over it yet. It was in the middle. I just picked it up, and it was, it was warm. I don't, I don't know if it was the thing when poor little eyes are closed, you know. It's, it, I don't know whether it was alive or dead, but I just walked it over to the side of the road and I, I put it under a tree and a grass and I just said, Lord, bless this little thing. If it's with you, uh, you know, little sparrow. And I just laid it there in the, in the, little, in the sunshine and, and drove on. What was I doing? I, I don't know why, but my conscience, the spirit of the Lord in me told me, take care of that little thing. I, I love that little bird. Isn't that silly? And I, he didn't want it just ground into the pavement by wheels of some car. And I was to pick it up and I just move it to the side. And I did it. And what will result of that is simply that my conscience will be a little more sensitive next time. If I had ignored it, my conscience would be a little more dull next time. We form ourselves. We form ourselves in this. Sometimes I realize what I've done is forbidden as I read God's word. I didn't really know it was wrong. I read the word of God. It shows me I, I'm out of line there. And I will I or won't I repent when that occurs? Sometimes I recognize that what someone says to me is true. God will speak to me through his prophets. Sometimes they're friends and family. They're just something is said to me. And I see the, the, the wrongness of it suddenly. And will I or will I not repent? Will I excuse myself, blame my mother, and go on? Or will I repent? 
Sometimes I observe the unintended results of my actions or words. Those are always fun. You don't even know you do it until you just see the, you see the, the blood and guts on the floor where you slaughtered somebody. Or you just did something. I, that happened to me also um, Friday. Um, we arrived from Chicago in the airport, and there was a number of, of pastors waiting at the carousel to pick up our luggage, and we're talking about a situation and about another pastor who we both loved very much, but who had something uh, sad done to him. And, and uh, I started kind of rehearsing the events because I love this guy and I'm still ticked it's done to him. And uh, of course, I was right in my observations, but uh, that, that doesn't change the fact and then the fellow I'm talking to said to me, you know, the thing about so-and-so is he says, he's, I've never, ever heard him say one negative word. And then here I had just been sort of spewing negative words. And I just realized the, the, the lovelessness of my comments, that they didn't need to be said. That they were, it was out of order. It wasn't pleasing the Lord. I was rehearsing an offense which would only stir it in, in, some, in some hearts and in mine. And it was, a, it was, a, it was, I'd sinned. I'd spoken the truth, but I hadn't spoken it in love. Love wouldn't have needed to say it at all. So I'm probably going to get to write this fella and just say, hey, spoke the truth, but not in love. And um, sorry to spill that acid on you. Repentance. How will I handle it when I observe the unintended results? I didn't mean to. I'm tired. You know, when I'm tired, I'm. I'm a dangerous guy. It's just, you know, it's like the brain goes out of, out of order and who knows what's going to come out. So how does he convict us? Well, he does it in a number of ways. It's just, it, it, it's just those moments. It's the moment when you realize, however it comes, the moment when you realize, I have just crossed the line. That didn't please the Lord. What will I do with it? In order for me to truly repent, God must reveal to my heart the deadly effects of my sin. For repentance to take place, for me to really want to change, God has to show me that there's death in what I'm doing. You see, there's areas that we know that God doesn't want us to do it. Our head tells us that. But the fact of the matter is, we really love this thing or, and wish that God would kind of lighten up. If God would let us do it, we'd be delighted to do it. There are areas where you, in your life, where if, if God said, hey, it's okay, if it was the 11th commandment, thou shalt, and, and you're supposed to do this thing you're doing, and inside you go, oh, praise God. And you see, what we don't realize is that with things that God has forbidden to us will kill us. Something dies in these things. That's why he's saying don't do it. There's death in it. And once I see the death, once I realize why this is wrong, then it becomes easy to let it go. But it's as long as I'm in that, that place where I, I really wish I could, but I know God doesn't want to, I'm, I'm in a childish kind of role where I keep apologizing to him over and over again and keep doing it because I'm caught between wanting to do it and knowing he doesn't like it. I, I, use, I have an illustration of this. Let's, let's say that my problem is eating ice cream, which it could be very easily. We do have ice cream in the freezer. And it's easy to sort of, uh, say, 
Well, I've had a hard week. Um, I was I, I was I was damaged as a child, and and there's something that my inner child needs right now, and I, I just need to give this to myself. And so I could just as well go get this thing out and be scooping some ice cream into the bowl, unable to help myself. You see, I know it's wrong. I know I shouldn't be doing it, but I can't help myself. I'm just I just have to. And then my wife's voice could come down the stairway <laughs> and say, oh, by the way, Steve, uh, we spilled rat poison in the ice cream. Don't, be careful you don't get any of that stuff. <laughs> All of a sudden, my entire attitude toward this ice cream has changed. <laughs> what was once calling to me, irresistibly, is now you couldn't get it down me with a fist fight. What's the difference? I know there's death in that stuff. I, see, I know there's death. Once the revelation comes of the death that's in it, the things the devil sends to us sound so attractive, sound so inviting, seem like such pleasure. But there's death in it. That's always why God asks us not to do it. Do not eat of that fruit, for the day you eat thereof, you shall surely die. You shall surely die. Well, once I see the death, then I become freer to repent. True repentance begins with a revelation from the Holy Spirit. If we don't have it, we must pray for it. You may say, well, I don't have that revelation of the death. And I, I struggle with this area over and over again. I, I, I like it then ask God to show you. He, will be, he is perfectly willing. Say, show me the death in this thing. May I understand why it's wrong, not just theologically. I want to understand in my gut. I want to get it. And he will show you. We're wise to invite the Holy Spirit to convict us rather than force him to discipline us. 1 Corinthians 11, 31 and 32. This is a very profound statement. Listen to this. If we judged ourselves rightly... We would not be judged. Say that with me. If we judged ourselves rightly, we would not be judged. Say it once more. If we judged ourselves rightly, we would not be judged. You know what he says? I can take the judgment and, and, and I can handle it on my end so that God doesn't deal with it. And then Paul goes on to say, but if we are judged... We are disciplined by the Lord so that we will not be condemned along with the world. If I don't judge myself rightly, the Lord in his love for me so that I don't stand at the judgment scene someday and, uh, and, and get nailed for this thing, he will discipline me and bring trouble into my life. Now, how many think it's a wise thing to ask to judge ourselves rightly rather than wait for God to discipline us? Amen. Yeah, about four of us. <laughs> David in Psalm 139, verse 23 and 24 says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me. and Lead me in the way everlasting. That's the posture we should take. Rather than David in Psalm 32, who said, I'm going to have an effect. I want to read this, some of this. This is what you don't want to do. Psalm 32, verses 3 and 4, he says, When I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away through my groaning all day long. 
For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was drained away as with the fever heat of summer. And then David says, but I acknowledged my sin to you, my iniquity I did not hide. I said, I'll confess the transgressions of my, of my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave me the guilt of my sin. I can either judge myself rightly and quickly, or I can wait for the Lord to discipline me with his hand heavy upon me until I finally decide to repent. Communion table, it just invites us to freely confess our sins, to freely repent of them. Just bringing them to, with no fear to the Lord, realizing that this is not some sign of failure, but actually a sign of our deepening in Christ. The more and more tender my conscience becomes, the more quickly I repent, letting the Lord form me. Now, I'm gonna, this is my final point. If Christ has died for me, Why do I still need to repent? Isn't it enough to say, Jesus paid for this? If he's paid for it, who needs to sweat it? Why do we bother with it? But the fact of the matter is, we don't simply repent once in order to get saved. God's plan is to continually transform us. And he doesn't do it with a magic wand. He does it parentally. He guides us and trains us. We make choices. We obey him. That's how you grow in Christ. It isn't simply that God goes, you know, and your bad habits are all gone and you're suddenly a lovely person. It's that you now obey him and you follow him and you listen to that voice. And in the process, you're transformed. He empowers us to do it. He helps us to do it. But you and I are involved in the process every step of the way. God's plan is to continually transform us until our hearts become like Jesus' heart. He does this by placing His Spirit within us to guide us into the right path and convict us when we turn to the wrong path. This is a lifelong process, not a once-in-a-lifetime event. Though there are key moments when I submit along the way. Now, I want you to see something beautiful. Exodus chapter 29. Verse 4. In preparing the priests of Israel, we, we are going, we've been going through the book of Exodus. And when the priests were ordained, the first thing that happened to them was this. The Lord said to Moses, you shall bring Aaron and his sons to the doorway of the tent of meeting and wash them with water. So the first thing that happens to a priest is they're washed with water. They're given a bath. And then after that, they are clothed with the priestly garments. And we've gone through those priestly garments and looked at them. So the first thing that happens is a bath. Now turn to chapter 30, verse 17. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, You shall make a laver, that means a big washing bowl, of bronze with its base of bronze, for washing, and you shall put it between the tent of meeting and the altar, and you shall put water in it 
So as you came into the outer court of this tent, the tabernacle, first thing you came encountered with was the big bronze altar. And then you went past that, and there was this bowl. It looked like a bird bath, a big bird bath, I think, made of those of the bronze from the from the worshiping women who gave their mirrors, if you recall, to be melted down to make this 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 holy piece of furniture in the tabernacle. And only the priests used it. And it was for them, as every time they were to go in uh, and minister to the Lord, they were to wash their hands and their feet. See here? You shall make a labor, and Aaron and his sons shall wash their hands and feet from it. When they enter the tent of meeting, they shall wash with water, that they may not die. Now, there's a motivation. Or when they approach the altar to minister by offering up in smoke of fire sacrifice to the Lord. So as they minister to the people or when they go in before the Lord, they are to have washed first. So they shall wash their hands and their feet that they may not die. And it shall be a perpetual statute for them, for Aaron and his descendants throughout the generations. So God says, as you come into the Shekinah glory of God, as you come near to the power of God, you must have you must be holy. You must be clean. I want, the, I want the junk of ministry off your hands. I want the dust and filth off your feet. I want you coming before me clean that I might. Now you say, well, why would he kill him? In, in that environment, the Holy Spirit was so strong and did not. Today, if you and I sin, it kind of grieves the Holy Spirit. Then it didn't. The Holy Spirit did not back off. And his power just killed, killed him. So it was actually this is a warning for their own sake. He's protecting them. And so he says they have to wash. Would you notice two things happen? First of all, they had what? As they became a priest, they got a bath. And then on a regular basis, they washed the grime and filth off their hands and off their feet. I want to submit to you that you also have had a bath. It's called your baptism. You too have been bathed with water and clothed with priestly garments. As you begin your life in the Lord, you were lowered into water, washed and raised up. And hands were laid on you for the fullness of the Holy Spirit. You too have been bathed and clothed with your priestly garments. But even as the priest was, that was not sufficient in a sense. There was a one bathing, but after that, there was to be the washing of the hands on a regular basis. Turn with me to John chapter 13. This takes place in the upper room the night of the Passover. Verse 3, I'll start. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, that he had come forth from God and was going back to God, that he, he knew who he was and he knew he was about to die and then to ascend. He got up from supper and laid aside his garments, his, his cloak, and taking a towel, he girded himself. He wrapped it around his waist in this symbol of a servant, a household servant. 
And then he poured water into the basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. So he came to Simon Peter and he said to him, and Simon Peter said to the Lord, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, what I do, you do not realize now, but you will understand hereafter. Peter said to him, never shall you wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Simon Peter being Simon Peter said to him, then Lord, give me a bath. Wash not only my feet, but my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, look carefully now, verse 10. He, why don't you read it out loud? He who has bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. And he was referring to Judas Iscariot. One bath, many washings. Say that with me. One bath, many washings. You've been baptized. But the washings represent repentance. And Jesus says, you've been bathed. But I want you to allow me to wash you clean. Over and over again. I will put a towel around my waist. And as a servant, I will cleanse you. As you repent and bring your sins to me. And that's part of your life with me. As we walk with Jesus Christ in his lovely grace, we are not afraid to repent. We don't come to a, to a traffic cop who just caught us speeding and is going to write us up. We come to the Lord who has died for us and who has covered us so that we're going to heaven, but who also wants to wrap a towel around his waist and wash us clean regularly so that we, like the priests of Israel, can enter into the Shekinah glory of God. The power of the Holy Spirit can remain strong upon our lives. Ultimately, the devil, when he tempts us to sin, is not trying to get us to do something nasty. He's trying to steal the anointing. What he wants to take off of your life is the power. He wants your confidence gone, your boldness stripped. He wants you to feel ashamed and troubled. He wants you to be withdrawn and feel distant from God. That's his goal. For then he can break your power to serve God. And so the Lord has an answer for it. He says, I, as, as you walk with me, I want you to repent quickly and regularly say with David, search me, O God, and know my thoughts. Try me and know my ways and see if there be any wicked way in me. Just go ahead, Lord, convict me however you want to do it. And as you do, I will turn to you quickly and I will repent. And let you wash me clean that I might rise up in boldness, in confidence of the Holy Spirit, knowing the authority of Christ within me. Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, please click the like button, subscribe, and share it with a friend. For more information, just head to our website, lifelessonspublishing.com, 
That's lifelessonspublishing.com. There you'll be able to order many of the books Pastor Steve has written. 